1: a real life, it can only be found when abiding in Jesus Christ, when walking as he walked and following his commands. We studied that. John now wants to take you to a higher level. He's going to say that it is not enough to walk in the light, although it's good to be in the light and not darkness. It's not enough to walk in love, although it's good to be in love and not hatred. John says that to live the life that is real now,
0: you must also walk in the truth There was a soft drink that advertised many years ago That it was the real thing Among all the other beverages This was the real truth satisfying drink While Pastor Dave shares that in the world There is only one real truth A truth that can only be found In your belief in Jesus Christ Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John Chapter 2 as he begins his message The Last Hour
1: You are assured. We are continuing on in our study of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I was going to do two verses today, but the Lord had other ideas, I guess. So we're doing one verse, and it's a powerful verse. And it is coupled with verse 19. However, we'll get to verse 19 next week. So 1 John 2, verse 18. If you have your places there, let me read aloud as you read along silently. The Apostle John writes these words, verse 18, chapter 2. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Shall we pray again? Father, As we now come to your word, Lord, we ask, Father God, that you would settle our hearts. Lord, that you would take away distractions. You would take away the things that we're doing this afternoon, even the baptisms, Lord, that you would remove those from our mind, that we might focus now on your word and what you are trying to tell us through your Holy Spirit today. Open up our hearts to anything that you might want to speak to us about, Father God. Clear our minds so that you can fill them with your love. Clear our hearts that you might fill them with your grace and your mercy, that we might become more like you, that we might see you in every avenue. And we might know what is being said to us individually and collectively as a church, Lord. Help us, Lord, to glean from these scriptures, Lord, those things which are important to you. Give us clear minds that we want to think. Keep us awake. Keep us focused on you and allow you to work mightily in our lives. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, react to this statement. It makes no difference what you believe as long as you are sincere. I heard a false, and I see some heads going, blah, 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 blah no way. But sadly, this statement expresses the personal philosophy of many people today. It seems as though sincerity is now the magical ingredient that makes something true not only in everyday life, but unfortunately in religious practices as well. I remember as a young boy in a galaxy far, far away, listening to the soundtrack from a Broadway musical called Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. The movie was about a rock star who was inducted into the army. Yes, it came out around the same time as Elvis Presley was being inducted into the army. And the, one of the main characters named It was Conrad Birdie. He was the rock star, and he would be inducted into the army. Well, to make a long story short, when you first meet him, he sings a song. It is a musical. He sings a song, and the song is, You Gotta Be Sincere. That was the name of the song that he sang, and that's the first thing we see. And one of the lines in the song was, if you fill it in here, you're gonna be sincere. If you feel it in here, you're going to be sincere. Whom, baby? Yeah, and he goes on. So <laughs> Feelings can be misleading. Feelings might have something to do with the pepperoni I ate this morning. Feelings may have something to do with what's going on in my life or my circumstances. Being sincere is important, but did you ever think you could be sincerely wrong? Did you ever think that maybe you could be sincerely wrong? I mean, a person can leave Chicago sincerely wanting to get to New York and follow all the signs that say Los Angeles this way and be very, very wrong when he gets to the end of the path. A person can become convinced that one thing is true when it is actually indeed false. A person may think something is right when it is wrong or he believes that something is false when indeed it is true. What does Scripture say about that? Well, Proverbs 14, 16, and sixteen twenty five say the same thing. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Being sincerely and sincerely wrong can be tragic. It can end tragically. It takes more than sincerity to make something true. Placing your faith in a lie doesn't change the lie will always bring about serious and sometimes extremely bitter consequences. However, faith in truth, faith in the reality of truth based on Jesus Christ, is never misplaced faith. So it does make a difference what you believe. One cannot live the real life on superstitions and lies. It is totally impossible. Remember, John is trying to show us the real life what the real life looks like. And in our verse today, we see the Holy Spirit leading the Apostle John to once again warn the family of God, the church family. We see in verse 18, begins with these familiar words, little children. Now here he's talking about us collectively. We're John's little children. How can John say that? Well, he's close to 90 when he's writing this. He was a pastor in Ephesus. So he's coming from a pastoral heart and he looks out at his readers whom he doesn't see and he's writing it down and he has an endearment for them. And so instead of calling them beloved, instead of calling them brethren, he simply says, little children, I like that. That shows an endearment that he wants you to recognize what he's trying to say and he's treating you as such. Little children, listen to this, listen to this. Term of endearment, John is speaking as a grandfather, a father, a leader who loves his followers. You see his pastoral heart. Now, John has spoken about conflict since we began this letter. He talked about the conflict between light and darkness in 1 John 1 to 1 John 2, 6. He warned us about the conflict between love and hatred in 1 John 2, 7 to 17. He warned us about loving the world. And now he kicks it up a notch. I just thought of Emerald. It's as if he said, bam, took his thing and said, here we go. I'm going to kick it up a notch. And he warns his believers that there's a third conflict that is happening. It is the conflict between truth and the lie. Remember, John is trying to get the believer to live a life that is real. Real. To live a real life, it can only be found when abiding in Jesus Christ, when walking as he walked and following his commands. We studied that. John now wants to take you to a higher level. He's going to say that it is not enough to walk in the light, although it's good to be in the light and not darkness. It's not enough to walk in love, although it's good to be in love and not hatred. John says that to live the life that is real now, you must also walk in the truth. You must also walk in the truth. Jesus was clear when he said he was the way, he was the truth, and he is the life. There's no other way to walk than to walk as Jesus walked for a Christian. There's no other way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And there is no other way to real life. Why? Because there is no other truth. Jesus declared to the disciples that his words were true. His words are truth. He is the true vine. His witness is true. Worship the Father in spirit and truth. Because Jesus is life. And in him, we're told that we move and have our being. For my life is now in Christ. When Paul was writing to the church of Colossae, he writes these words in chapter 3. He writes these words. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is what the real life looks like. Our life hidden in Christ in God. John wants his readers and John wants all of us today listening to this to know that there are tragic consequences when we should turn from the truth. If we leave the truth behind, Peter knew this and Peter declares this. Peter declares this very thing. When he is writing, he says that a person who wanders from the truth, he says it would have been better off if you didn't know the truth. Look at Second 2 Peter 2.21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Peter is saying that it would have been better off not to know than to turn away. Better off to know, not to know the truth and turn away. And when you do this, it puts you in great jeopardy because now you're responsible for the truth. When you know the truth, you're responsible for it. You're responsible to do something with it when you know the truth. It's been given to you and you've received it and you're responsible for it. It's not sinning ignorantly. It's sinning knowingly because you've left the truth. So in this section that we start today, John's saying, take your walk with the Lord seriously. Watch your step because time is running out. He says, it's the last hour. Words to think about the last hour. A new, age, a new age is dawning in the world of ours. You can see it happening all over the globe. You look at it everywhere. John said in 2 verse 8, he said, darkness is now past, and the true light now shines. And when you look back through the Old Testament, we see the history of the nation Israel as they were being prepared for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The entire Old Testament was preparing Israel for the coming of this person, Jesus Christ, the coming of their Messiah. And since Jesus came, since Jesus' death and resurrection, the clock has been ticking. There is a time clock that seems to be ticking. And ever since Jesus returned to the Father, all history now is doing nothing but marking time. We are simply marking time until the return of Jesus Christ. Why? Because quite frankly, everything that God could do to save sinners was completed by Jesus Christ on a cross. Everything that God could do to save the sinner from eternal damnation was accomplished on the cross. This is a fact, and this is truth. So John now writes in verse 18a, he says, Little children, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. Now, what's interesting to me is that throughout Scripture, we read about a time when things would come to an end. We read about a time. The prophets spoke about it. All the prophets spoke about it. The writers of the New Testament spoke about it. In fact, the writers of Hebrews says this in verse 1. God, who at various times, in various ways, spoken to pass the fathers by the prophets, has... In these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made all the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become so much better than the angel as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they." So we read about these last days, the perilous times, the end of the age, the latter days. John now says, it's the last hour. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I get a sense of urgency. I get a sense of urgency. Why? Because these times began when Jesus was born and have continued to increase in intensity. Jesus and Paul both describe the characteristics of these times, period, and we see the same characteristics happening today. The characteristics happen. So John is warning the church, hey, guys, the time is now. It's the last hour. He had previously told us in our study last week that the world was passing away, that we're not to love the things of the world. And you know what, folks? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at things happening around the nail to know that the world is certainly passing away. The world is getting worse and worse and worse. Earthquakes are more powerful than ever been. Storms and hurricanes are more frequent. Tornadoes are even much stronger. Even thunderstorms seem to be more intense lately. There's certainly more pestilence available circulating the globe more than ever before including COVID-19. Man is turning against each other in racial hatred. Families are destroying each other through political issues. Abortion rates are soaring. Cities are being burned while looting is rampant. All in the name of justice. You can see with your own eyes, we are indeed in perilous times. Unprecedented times. And John knows as well as you should know too. And John's trying to tell us, hey guys, the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. And he wants his readers to be able to distinguish between truth and the lie. We need to be able to distinguish between the truth and the lie. It's extremely important. So as we read verse 18, little children is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which you know that it is the last hour. It is the last hour. Notice a few things here. Notice the capital A in one Antichrist and a small a in the other Antichrist. It's interesting. Now, you need to know that the Apostle John is the only person in the entire Bible to use the word Antichrist. Nobody else uses it. He's the only one. And it can have three different meanings. The word Antichrist can have three different meanings. First of all, it describes a spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ. Secondly, it can describe false teachers who embody that spirit. Those are small a, Antichrist. And then finally, it describes an actual person who will head up the final rebellion against Jesus and God. That's the large a, Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist has been in the world ever since Satan fell and declared war on God. The spirit of the Antichrist is behind every false doctrine and every false religious substitute. It's interesting that the word anti in the Greek has a dual meaning. It can mean against Christ, and it can mean instead of Christ. And a frenzy has taken place as Satan fights against the eternal truth of Jesus Christ, substituting counterfeits here, there, and everywhere. But the crazy thing is, and not, it's not really crazy, but the truth is that Jesus predicted it. In Matthew 24, in verse 24, he said, false Christ and false prophets will rise up and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Do you see why John wants us to know the truth? Do you see what why John wants us to know the difference between the lie and what was real? How we have to know this and have it deep in our hearts and know what's taking place and what's happening here? The spirit of the Antichrist is in the world today, and it will eventually lead to the appearance of a man known as the Antichrist. Now, what are some of his names? He's called the Horn in Daniel 7. He's called the King of Fierce Countenance in Daniel 8. He's called the Prince that Shall Come in Daniel 9. He's called the Willful King in Daniel 11. John 5 calls him the one who comes in his own name. And Paul in Thessalonians 2 Calls him the son of perdition, the man of sin, and the lawless one. These are the names. All resent the same person. What's interesting here is that most people focus on the ideal of an opposite Jesus. This has made them think that the Antichrist will be a supremely evil person doing horrid things. That he will be the exact opposite of Jesus. And as Jesus' character and personality was beautiful and attractive as such, this person will be ugly and repulsive. And the emphasis has been placed too much on the opposite, where the Antichrist will be instead of Jesus. Because he's going to look wonderful. He's going to look great. He's going to have all the great ideas. He's going to ensure peace. In fact, he's going to be a peacemaker. He's going to be charming. He's going to be successful. He's going to be the ultimate winner and appear as an angel of light. Until such a time when he reveals who he is. John is warning that the spirit of Antichrist is now with us. He's warning us to take heed, to look out for what is happening. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that this is the last hour. John declares that while the world awaits the unveiling of the man of lawlessness, this Antichrist, there are many other imitations around, many other imitations that are coming to us. And and when I look at this, when I look at this verse, I I can see two, two forces at work here. I see two forces at work here. First of all, I see the truth working. How's the truth working? The truth is working through us, the church, by the Holy Spirit. The truth is working in us. Also, in the world today is the spirit of the Antichrist working by the energy of Satan, opposing everything of God and everything of Jesus. At present, during this current time, we know that we who are Christian, we who are filled with the Holy Spirit, are actually the restraining force holding back lawlessness. Now, you may say to me, wait a minute, Dave, have you seen the headlines? Ain't nobody holding back lawlessness. Look what's happening. Look what's going on in our world. Look what's happening to our cities across the country. But folks, I'm here to tell you that pales short to the destruction that's going to come. That pales in magnitude to the destruction that will be unleashed when the church is removed by the rapture. Truth is holding back lawlessness. The spirit of the antichrist is fighting against all righteousness. Evil is now good. Good is now evil. And it's it's coming up to a head. Paul wrote of this in 2 Thessalonians, in verse 7. In 2 Thessalonians, verse 7, Paul writes this. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, capital he, who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The he is the Holy Spirit. The he is the Holy Spirit in us. When the church is removed, Satan will take a victory lap. And the man, the Antichrist, will be revealed. He is the one who opposes everything Christian, everything Christ, and he is the one who exalts himself above all and declares that he is God and he will be worshipped. So why is John so adamant about this? Why is there such urgency in John? Well, John lived in an age of constant expectancy of the return of Jesus Christ. He looked for him at every angle. He looked for him in everywhere and every day. He knew it was the last hour. This expectancy seems to be missing in the church today. This expectancy that Christ is coming. But we too should have this urgency. We too should know that the Lord could come at any minute. We are in the last hour. I love what Guzik says here, quote, Seeing the nature of our times and what the Bible says about the end times, we should regard ourselves as being in the last few minutes. Notice, not the last hour, the last few minutes. So it makes a difference what we believe. It makes a difference what we believe. It really does. You are assured.
0: You've been listening to a teaching from the book of 1 John with Pastor Dave Shank on a sure hope. Does your heart tend to ride the turbulent waves of the circumstances you find yourself in? Or are you more of that calm, steady sea that's fairly even and consistent? Well, in this book, John wrote to his readers to grow in their zeal and love for God while refuting those who were teaching false things. There is a steadiness that's encouraged despite the waves of emotion and turmoil that you may face. Having that steadfast focus on God and His promise of eternal life is what can help your heart be at peace and be calm. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps as you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about what you heard. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609 884 Five eight two one. In addition to that, you're welcome to email us at info at com with any questions, concerns, or prayer requests. Would you rather talk to us in person? Then think about joining us this Sunday for a time of God's Word at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. All you need to know is our website, com. Thank you again for taking time to learn from the book of First John today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.